The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. Welcome. We are kicking off a new series today called That They May Be One. And before we get into this series, as a Christian, there are many perks. When you decide to join this club called Christianity, there's many things that anyone, even if you know very little about Christianity, you say there's many good things about being a Christian. Like the whole heaven thing is a, is a pretty good perk, okay? Something that's a good selling point. There's also this whole idea of community that when you become a Christian, you join a church, you automatically have 400 very close friends who will do anything for you at any point in time. So that's, that's pretty cool. But the main thing when people talk about Christianity, what it means to be a, a Christian, and one of like the, the main perks, I would say, is prayer. As a Christian, we believe that I am not just limited to my own resources, that I have the ability to pray and ask things of the Almighty God. Whether or not, okay, depending, you may believe certain things about that, but as, as in general, okay, you get to ask things from God through prayer. And did you know that prayer, the, root, the word pray, actually just means ask? Okay, there's different kinds of prayer, and I don't want to really get into that. But you know the word pray is like an old English word. So one might say, you know, I, uh, like, pray tell. Okay, it's like saying, as ask, or I pray thee to, you know, pass the salt, okay, or whatever it may be. Pray just means simply to ask for something. Well, did you know that Jesus also prayed? Jesus prayed. And at first, it seems kind of counterintuitive that Jesus to pray because we pray to ask Jesus to do stuff for us because we're limited. But he's kind of the prayer answerer. So it doesn't really make sense sometimes, like, why would Jesus pray? But again, when you understand that the word pray just means to ask for stuff, then it becomes a little bit more, makes a little sense. In this series, we want to focus on one of the final things that Jesus said before his death and crucifixion, which actually was a prayer. And it was a very interesting prayer, and it, we find it in John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus said the following. He said that they all may be, finish this sentence for me, that they all may be one. Again, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you know that Jesus, at the very end of his life, after all the miracles, all the healings, all the teachings, all the stuff that he did for three and a half years that we know about, all the stuff that we don't even know about, the very, very end of it all, he prayed. And he asked for something. But here's the interesting part. The person who holds the key to answering Jesus' prayers is who? us. The prayer is a request for us. The prayer is asking us to do something, which again, this is like, this is not what we're used to, me saying, God, do this for me. But did you know that in John chapter 17, Jesus said, okay, I will, but can you do this for me? And Jesus made a special request. His dying request was not, make sure they read the Bible as much as they can. Make sure they go to church every Sunday. Make sure they fast. Make sure they give. Make sure they... None of that. Jesus' final request, like what I want from you, a dying man's last wish and last request, was please be one. 
Did you know that you and I hold the key to fulfilling Jesus' last request before he died on the cross? And that's the goal of this series. We want to talk about this prayer and what it means for me and you practically. But before we do, I want to draw you a picture to set the scene for you right here. The picture, this took place probably about uh, six years ago. 2017 is when it was. What happened is when I was, oh, sorry, 2016. It was 2016. In 2016, I turned 40 years old. And that's where you go, oh, really? <laughs> yes, 2016, I turned 40 years old. So you know how everyone has like a midlife crisis at age 40, okay? And I've read about pastors who really go crazy, okay? Like something happens at age 40. So I, in true, like the color series red and I got a little blue in me, I planned my midlife crisis. I said, let me just come up with a plan. So instead of doing some, something dumb, okay, let me just figure out what I'm going to do. So what I decided I'm going to do for my 40th birthday is I'm going to run a half marathon. Okay, that's safe, that's easy, like it's good for you, so I'm going to run a half marathon. And what I did, I was smart, I did it a week after my birthday, so I ran in the 40 to 49 division, not the 30 to 39, okay? That moved me up like 30 spots, okay, if I'd have been in that one and that one. So what I had been doing for like the six months prior or four months prior is I was running a lot, obviously, but I wasn't running to enjoy it. I was running to, you know, I had my time thing, and okay, and I tried to meet certain goals, like I had my, my plan. And then I ran the half marathon, did not die, did have a stress fracture, but I did not die. And then afterwards, okay, took a couple months off, okay, and gorged myself silly. But then at some point I said, you know what, I want to get back into running. So I went out and started running again, but it was as if it was the first time I'd ever run outside before. Because before, like when you're running with a goal, you're not paying attention to anything. Now I'm like, I'm not going to even take my, 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 my phone with the tracker thing. I'm just going to just run and I'm just going to enjoy. And I started noticing stuff and I started saying hi to people. Okay, and it was fantastic when you're not trying to accomplish a goal. And I remember, it was fall at the time, and as I was running, I noticed leaves with different colors. Okay, now you probably notice this on a regular basis, but I'm not a very leaf color-y kind of a guy. But I, because I'm kind of colorblind, so I remember like very clearly being like, wow, these are beautiful leaves, because this trail I would run would like run through like the forest, so these are beautiful. And I remember seeing all kinds of different color leaves, different shape leaves, different size leaves, but my favorite of all the leaves, leaves, was this big red one. Okay, this is before the color series, but I always had a thing with red. Okay, red is the way to go. And there was this big red one, and it was bold, and it was powerful, and it was sharp. And I just kind of feel like if all the leaves got into a fight, this leaf would crush the other leaves. Like you little green one over there, and crush. Like this leaf, I just love this leaf. The red leaf was my favorite. Then I asked myself a question. What if all the leaves were red? What if all, like this is my favorite leaf. What if the whole forest was made up of this leaf? Would it be as beautiful? Probably not. The beauty of the forest is in the diversity. Like what makes the red leaf look so great is that it's next to a weak green guy. Or it's next to that tiny little blue leaf over there, whatever. Like the contrast of seeing the red in the midst of the other is the beautiful part. Here's what I learned that day. Follow me here. I know this is a dumb lesson, but stick with me. I'll go where I'm going with this. The red leaf is more beautiful standing next to a brown leaf than it would be just standing by itself. The red leaf, if I'm advising the leaf, I would say do your best to try to be around some green guys 
Some green, some, some blue leaves. Are there blue leaves? I don't know. Again, I'm colorblind. I don't know. Okay. Yellow leaves, orange leaves. Okay, whatever color leaves. I would advise him, say, you're a big red one, but don't just stand next to the big red ones because you kind of blend in over there. Stand next to some little green ones. Stand next to some, some middle blue ones. Stand next to some whatever other ones because the beauty is enhanced. You are more beautiful when you stand next to other leaves. Do you all agree with me that? You maximize your potential when you are next to people, when you are next to leaves that don't look like you. Another example of the same thing is music. Okay, music is beautiful. What makes music beautiful is not any one instrument, but the symphony blending all together. Like one of the things that I like, I'm not a very musical person, but sometimes you hear like a band or a song and then somebody's playing the violin. Okay, I love that. I love that because the violin is a beautiful accent, okay, just at the right time, that little tip, whatever it may be. But can you imagine a band of just violins? Ah, it would just be like the, the, the nails on the chalkboard, like it'd be painful. The beauty of the violin is that it's around non-violins. You see where I'm going with this? One more in case you're not a nature or a music person. Food, salad, best part of any salad? I say bacon bits, okay, that's number one, and then I have onions. Those are my two favorite. I like bacon bits and I like onions. Can you imagine a salad of just bacon bits and onions? Can you? Well, bacon bits, okay, that, that was, let's, get, let's go onions, okay? Can you imagine a salad of just onions? Like, if it, like the beauty of the onion is that it's next to the other guy, the little red guy or whatever it is, the parsley guy, the, the, the lettuce guy. The beauty of it is that it's not just by itself. This series is based on two big ideas. The first one I'm gonna give you right up front, the second one I'll give you at the end. The first big idea is we don't just accept one another, we need one another. We don't just accept one another, we need one another. We don't just put up with our differences, we embrace our differences. Let's say that together, say it with me. We don't just accept one another, actually, repeat after me is better. Repeat after me, we don't just accept one another. We need one another. We don't just put up with differences. We embrace them. This is what Jesus' last prayer was all about. This is what Jesus wanted. This was his dying wish. His dying wish wasn't, again, that we read the Bible, that we go to church, that we help old ladies across the street. His dying wish was that we would embrace the differences between us, that we wouldn't just put up with them, we would embrace them, that we wouldn't just accept each other, but that we would realize that we need one another to maximize who God made us to be. That's why, look, we can disagree about a lot of things within Christianity, okay? And a lot of people disagree. About, I don't know how anyone can disagree about Christian unity. You cannot call yourself a Christian and, not, and say, I don't care about Christian unity. You can't, because it's the one thing that Jesus emphasized more than anything else. And I'll tell you why we're doing this series right now, and it's especially important to us now here at STSA. Because we've been building this place for a long time. And I have no doubt I have no doubt that very soon the floodgates are going to open. Because every time I walk in this neighborhood right here, people are like, are you the priest of that church? Are you, are, when are you guys going to be ready? Even just the other day, I got an email from someone saying, we're in the neighborhood and we want to come visit. I have no doubt in my mind that people who have been seeing bulldozers for so long, they want to know what's inside this place. People who are just walking by want to know what's inside this place. People are going to be coming left and right. And my question to you, STSA family, is how will we receive them? How will we receive them? How will we receive them if they don't look like us? If they don't talk like us? They don't vote like us? Mm, they don't raise their kids like us? How will we receive them? Will we just put up with them? 
or we embrace them. Several years back, we did a series called Finding Your Flavor. Anyone remember the series called Finding Your Flavor? Okay, many, many years ago. A series called Finding Your Flavor, and in it is basically about different ways that people connect with God. Because I believe that your relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. And I have two children. I do not have the same relationship with each one of them. I have a unique relationship with my son and with my daughter. I have a unique relationship with every single person who's sitting here today. No two relationships are the same. Every relationship is unique. So I believe it's the same with our Heavenly Father. I don't think, any of us, I don't think God wanted us cookie-cutter relationships. Because if he did, he would have made us all look the same. Nobody looks the same. Nobody's thumbprint is the same. Everyone's unique. Our personality, our temperament, everything is unique. So I think we can have unique relationships with God. But what I was talking about in that series is that what we tend to do in church, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of limit it. And we tend to say, this is the right way to connect with God. So if you connect with God this way, you're good. But if you're over there, over there, you need to change. You need to become more like us. I always use the expression church people and non-church people. Like if you grew up in church, you know how to do church stuff. You know when to, okay, and you know like, you know the church stuff, okay? But somebody who didn't grow up in church doesn't know the church stuff. That doesn't make them any less spiritual, any less able to connect with God. Like I'll give you an example. Let's say someone walks in off the street. Okay, so the neighborhood back here. Someone walks in off the street and they say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I love to fast. I love to stand for long prayers. We would say, great, come on in. You are most certainly welcome right here. You will fit right in. But let's say someone else walks in and says, I like art. I like music. We would say, okay, we'll change it. Don't worry. We'll fix you. If someone comes in here and says, I want to, uh, to volunteer and I want to serve and I know how to teach Sunday school and I know how to clean bathrooms. Those are usually the two standard ministries in every church, okay? Teaching Sunday school, cleaning bathrooms. We would say, great, you are the head of everything. Okay, you're in charge. Here's the keys. Okay, you got it all. Under-. But then someone says, I have a different vision. I want to, not a vision, I have a different passion. I want to serve in different ways. What would we do with them? Would we accept them? Would we embrace them? My fear, at, at best, we would accept them in order to change them. And at worst, we would tell them, go find another church. We may not say that with our words, but we would make sure they know, this is the path right here, baby. Okay, so if you are within these walls, you're colored within these lines, you're with us. You raise your kids the way we raise our kids, you talk about politics the way we talk about politics, you look at the world the way we do, you right here, you're good. But you're outside of that, you're never going to be comfortable in this place. <clears throat> In that series, what I talked about is about how there is one way to God, that's Jesus, but there are many ways to the way. There's one way to the Father, but there are many ways to the way. And some people come through an ascetic route. Some people come through a contemplative route. Some people come through an intellectual route. It doesn't matter. All that matters is you get to the, the road. All that matters is you get to the way, but how you get there can differ. St. <clears throat> Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 22. He said, now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head, I have, nor, nor the head to the ear, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Did you realize that? Necessary. We need them. We need people in this church who are different than you. We need people in this church who are different than me. Because like that red leaf, if all of us was red leaves, we wouldn't be as beautiful to God. But if we had some diversity in the way we think, 
We had some, some, some different ways of approaching God. Then we're all more, then we're the symphony, symphony that is music to God's ear. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to make this practical. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to look to someone uh, left and right, and you're going to say, I need you. Go right now. Look to somebody to your left or your right and say, I need you. Let's go. Say, I, now look the other side behind you in front of you. I need you. Very good. Now let's make it better. Say, you need me. Say, you need me. Look at somebody say, you need me. Now say, hey, baby, can I get your number since you need me and I need you? <laughs> okay, enough of the needing each other. Okay, okay. I see some love connections being happening right here. It's okay. If you're single, okay, you're welcome for what I just did for you, okay? You're welcome. If you're married, I'm sorry, what I just did, okay? <laughs> but hey, that's the truth. That's what St. Paul is saying, is the people who seem to be weaker, the people who seem to be different, the people who seem they don't add value, they're necessary. Every body part is necessary. I can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Because what do you do? You just sit there and hear stuff? We don't need to hear stuff. We need to see that every part is necessary. And here's the important part. Every single person in this room, please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Every person in this room is necessary to the body of Christ. But you know who also is necessary? The people who are not in this room. The guy who's going to show up next week is necessary to the body of Christ. The person who doesn't even know that they need to be here, but they're going to be here one day, is necessary to the body of Christ. Because that's what St. Paul said. And that's what Jesus prayed for. There's a Russian saint. His name is St. Nikolai, and I won't even try to pronounce his last name. And he lived many years ago, and he wrote this prayer, like, like prayer meditations, and it was called Prayers by the Lake. And in it... You see him as beautiful prayers. You can look it up on Google afterwards. He prays for the entire world, but he prays for the entire world in such a way, he says, like, I repent for all those who bear false witness. I repent for all those who commit adultery. Like, he himself didn't do those things, but he's saying, I repent, God, for those who steal. I repent for those who commit murder. And then he says this at the end. He says, forgive them, for they know not what they do, for they do not know that there are not two lives in the universe, but one. There are not two lives in the universe, but one. And there are not two men in the universe, but one. Oh, how dead are those who cut the heart in half. For all the history of mankind, from Adam to me, a sinner, I repent. For all history is in my blood, for I am in Adam, and Adam in me. This is the opposite of how we live in the world today. We live in a very individualistic society, which is basically me, myself, and I. Every man for himself. But this is the opposite. This is saying that if you sin, that affects me. And therefore, I have, like, we're connected, okay? And if one half of the body or one member of the, like, we are all one person. There's not, like, when God looks from heaven, did you know this? When God looks from heaven, yes, he sees each one of us in a personal way, but God sees his creation, his, his humanity as one. We are one and we are connected. And then the work of the devil is to divide us. And to get us to see, no, they don't talk like me. No, they don't look like me. No, they don't think like me. No, they don't raise their kids like me. No, they don't go to the same schools that I go. No, that's the work of the devil. And if you allow him to make you think, if you allow him to make you think that you don't need others who are different than you, that your way is the right way and it's my way or the highway, then I tell you this with all respect, that's a sickness. And it's not just me who's saying that. You know who said that? King Solomon, who's a pretty wise guy. He said, do you see, Proverbs 26, 12, 
This is a powerful verse. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That's tough. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, we, like I said, we can accept other ways, but come on. We just, it's just a, do you see someone wise in his own eyes? And there's more hope for a fool than for him. And as harmful as this can be to be wise in your own eyes in, in many areas of life, there's no area that's more dangerous to be wise in your own eyes than the matters that deal with eternity and salvation and Christianity. And did you know that this idea of not embracing differences, this idea that it's my way or my way only, actually is not a new idea in the church. It's actually been around since the start. And actually, we're going to look at it right now. This idea almost derailed Christianity at the onset. Did you know that? That when Christianity was just leaving the train station, okay, in the book of Acts, and just getting warmed up, that this idea of, do we need others? Does everyone need to be like us? This thing almost derailed the whole thing, the whole mission, almost went downhill before it even got started. We're going to read a passage from Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> and to give you the historical context, Acts chapter 10 is roughly, approximately, 15 years after the resurrection. 15 years after the resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost. So the church had been functioning now for 15 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. The main character in our story is going to be St. Peter. And Peter, as you remember, he was the rock. He was like the leader. He was the one who walked on water. He was the one who saw the empty tomb. He was the one who did miracles. He was the one on the mountain of transfiguration. Okay, so Peter, so you got 15 years after Jesus left. Peter's been in charge of the operation for 15 years. 15 years is a long time. Like the church didn't just open up yesterday. 15 years they've been operating. <clears throat> and despite that, after 15 years, they still didn't see the Gentiles, the different people, were the same as them. Despite everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did, at the time, 15 years, they still thought that in order to be part of us, you got to be like me. In order to be part of us, you got to be like us. And then one day, God interrupted St. Peter's quiet time while he was praying. And this is what happened. Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 15. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry. Peter's quiet time is like my quiet time, by the way. Okay, as soon as I start the quiet time, this is what happens. He gets hungry, and then he gets sleepy. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened like, and an object like a great sheet around at, uh, bound at the four corners. So basically, he starts praying, he gets hungry, then he falls asleep. So if you've ever fallen asleep during quiet time, you're in good company, okay? So now you're not the only one. <clears throat> then he sees this object descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. See what Peter's saying? He gets his vision, all these animals. God's saying, Go ahead and eat that animal. Peter's like, no, 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 I'm not going to eat that animal. I'm not, I, that's a common, that's unclean, that's bad, that's not for us, that's for them. Those people eat those animals, but us people, we don't eat that. They're on the left side, on the right side, that's how it works. And a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed. 
you must not call common. <clears throat> Peter didn't get it. Understandably, animals clean, like it was, Peter didn't get it. Then all of a sudden, after Peter wakes up from his, from his nap slash prayer, after he wakes up, he gets a knock at the door. And the knock at the door is a guy named Cornelius. So as Peter, and Cornelius was a Gentile, as God was giving Peter this vision, God spoke to another guy named Cornelius, a Gentile, and said, I love you, I accept you, go talk to Peter, he's going to tell you that everything that you need to know. Look what Jesus did. He didn't just go and save him and say, everything is good, everything is good. He worked in his life and then said, go to the church. Go to the people with the building. Go to the people who say they're my children. Go to the people who I poured myself into them. I could have easily just told you what you need right here, but that's not the point. You go to them and they're going to accept you, whether they like it or not. Verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry at, for Simon's house and stood by stood before the gate. The following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Think to yourself, if you're Peter, what's happening right here? You, your entire life, were taught those people are bad. Those people, sorry, I don't mean about you people, okay? Let's say those people, okay? <laughs> These people. Okay, I'll be Cornelius for the day. You were taught your whole life that this person, you know what they would call them? Okay, there was two animals that they used to call the Gentiles. And you tell, I don't know which one's worse because they're both worse than the other. Dogs or pigs. And you didn't, you weren't cursing them. You weren't saying a bad word. Say, oh yeah, the dogs, the pigs. You were taught your whole life. These people are not acceptable. These people are not for us. And who, and not just, they're not for us. They're not for God. God is against them. And then all of a sudden, Peter, rock of faith, goes in his quiet time. And Jesus says, what I have cleansed, you must not call common. And he says, I have a mission for you. And I want you to go talk to this Cornelius guy. And he gets there. And when he gets to Cornelius' house, he doesn't just find Cornelius. He finds what? He doesn't find one pig. He finds a whole flock of pigs. A whole pig pen. And they're all gentile and dirty. Okay, and they've probably got their Gentile cooties everywhere. And Peter's like, oh, I don't want to touch anything. And like, if there was masks at the time, he'd been wearing three of them. Okay, and he's got his hand sanitizer. He don't want to go anywhere near this stuff. Because he'd been a whole life. And he's like, okay, God, I'll go if I have to. But like, let me bring a megaphone so I can just shout the gospel to them from a distance. And God says, no, go to his house. And when he goes to his house, there's a whole bunch of them gathered there together. <clears throat> next verse. Actually, I'm sorry, before I show you the next verse. What Peter says to them next. What Peter says to them next. Get ready for... The worst introduction ever. Get ready for the worst way, the worst greeting. Knock at the door, whole bunch of people you never met before. This is the worst possible way to introduce yourself, especially as a messenger of God. Are you ready? Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or go to, sorry, go to one of another nation. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with 
or go to one of another nation. Do you understand what he's saying? This is one of those like, did I actually say that out loud moments? Because what he just said in essence is, you know how I am good and you are bad. And you know, like he wasn't saying it, he was just saying like, you know it's illegal for me to go to your house because you're a filthy pig and I'm a clean child of God. Like can you imagine, give it another way. Imagine knocking on the door of someone's house and it's a black family. Say, you know I can't come in because I'm white. You know that, right? That's in essence what he's saying. Knocking on someone's house is, you know, you guys are all black in there, I'm white, so you know I'm not allowed to kind of do this. Or I'm knocking at the house and, oh, you guys are poor, you know, I'm rich, so I'm really not allowed to go and spend time with you. That's like kind of the rules. That's what he said, not in his head, like with his mouth. He said that out loud. This is the rock of faith. And he actually said that. And you know the best part? They were not offended by what he said. You know why? Because that's what everyone told him. They knew the rules. We're pigs. You guys are the chosen ones. You guys are great. We're dirty. We're pigs. We stink. And they knew that. And that's what Peter said. It actually gets worse. The next verse, what he says. He said, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or clean. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or clean. In other words, the God has shown me part is good. We'll come back to that. But the first part of it, or the second part, saying, you know that I think of you as an unclean person. He said it to him. You know that I judge you. You know that I think you're worthless. You know that. But God has shown me that I have to accept worthless people. That's limitless acceptance for you right there. God has shown me. God has shown me. God has shown me. You know what my prayer for this series is? Is that we can have like a Peter, God has shown me moment. That God has shown me, like the leaves. I need different leaves around me. God has shown me that I don't want to just surround myself with people who are exactly like me. God has shown me that the kingdom of God is too big to limit to a political viewpoint. The kingdom of God is too big to limit itself. The kingdom of God is for everybody no matter who they are. Now, some people, and when they get inside, we're going to help them try to, you know, correct some things, whatever. But all of us, okay, all of us, the kingdom, uh, the doors are wide open for everyone. And then all of us, when we're inside, we got work to do. So you say, that person's got work to do. Well, so do we. But we're on the inside getting the work done. The hospital doesn't say, go get yourself fixed and then come back. Hospital says, come one, come all. And then when you're on the inside, we're going to help you. Well, how can we, how can we, church, how can we as as a church help society if we don't welcome society in? How can we help people that we don't talk to? <clears throat> this is Acts chapter 10. We're going to fast forward five years to Acts chapter 15. By Acts chapter 15, we're probably like five, ten years later. And believe it or not, even though Peter gets the message loud and clear here, Peter's still struggling with this. And the whole church is still struggling with this. Like, okay, we accepted you, Cornelius, over there. But can we accept a bunch of them? Like, we can accept one Gentile or two. But we can't accept them all. They'll infect us with their gentility, okay, whatever it may be. And the church is struggling with this. And then all of a sudden, they have this council to discuss this issue. And the centerpiece of the council, or the the main topic on the agenda, was does a Gentile person need to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Like someone who is on the outside, do they need to become like me in order to be Christian? Or can they maintain their own culture? And specifically, the topic was circumcision. Okay, does somebody need to be circumcised in order to be part of the church? Imagine how hard, by the way, that made Friends and Family Day if you did have to think that, okay? I could imagine many more females in the church. Maybe this is why, okay, because of the roots of it right there. But they had to make this decision. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. 
Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, what do you think he's going to say? What do you think he's going to say? Before I show you what he says, do you know what is hanging in the balance of what he's about to say? Do you know who is hanging in the balance of what he's about to say? Me. I am. And you are. And you are. And you are. Unless someone here is Jewish, okay? If so, we welcome you. We're happy. I'm just... <laughs> like, usually we look at this and we say, like, yeah, should we as the church accept non-church people? No, 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 no. That's how you're not reading it right. We're the non-church people in Acts 15. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. So here you have a group of people who are talking about whether or not I can come in. So all of a sudden, the stakes are much higher now. Because now we're not talking about whether that guy should be in or not. Who cares about that guy? As long as I'm on the inside. No, 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 no. I'm on the outside. And they're discussing this. Verse 7. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe, listen to this, we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Say that with me all together. We shall be saved in the same manner as they. Again, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Can you imagine if the results had been different? Can you imagine if the results of this had been, you know what? Let them go over there, but don't let them come in here. Let them, okay, they can have their own little place over there, and they can do their own little prayers, but here we have the altar. Here we have the body and blood of Christ. Here we have the sacraments. No, they can't come in here. When you think about it from this perspective, I don't know about you, but I, I find myself getting like, worked up on the inside. Like, how can, how can a group of people... And who is, by the way, who is the group of people who was discussing this? It was a group of the Pharisees, okay, and, and people who had like that, like those people who had joined the church, they're discussing it. And they're talking about my salvation. They're talking about whether I can get baptized. They're talking about whether I can receive the body and blood of Christ. They're talking about me. And I'm on the outside. You know what I'm picturing? You know, like in the, in the movies, like the court, like the, the, the kid who's by the door, who's like, you know, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's free, or, whatever, or guilty, whatever it is. That, that's what I imagine. I want to be like listening by the door, being like, what are they saying? That guy said that, let me in. Like, let me do, like, what, what's to consider? Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, was about my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Was that let all come to me, Samaritan woman, Zacchaeus, Levi. Like, Jesus was very, very clear, centurion, like everybody. <clears throat> what they were discussing comes down to this. Do you believe that God wants to bless those people? And you can fill in the blank for those people. You can put your own blank in. That could be a cultural those people. That could be, like I said, a political those people. That could be like a socioeconomic, those people, whatever you want. Do you believe that God wants to bless those people the same way he wants to bless me and you? Do you believe that or don't believe that? Do you believe that God has a plan for those people the same way he has a plan for you and me? Do you believe that God, watch this one, wants to work powerfully through those people? just like he wants to work powerfully through me and you. 
That's the question. All the promises of God. That's the question, that's the question I want you to, to ponder through this series. All the promises of God, are they just for us? Or are they for everyone? And you come up with the answers you want. If you, if you, if you, like you, I believe the promises of God are just for people like me. You want to say that? Like, at least I respect you if you say it. <clears throat> Thankfully, that's not what they said. Thankfully, they got this thing right. And this is the second big idea of this series, is that my salvation is directly tied to the salvation of people different than me. My salvation is directly tied to the salvation of people who are different than me. My salvation, I'm a Republican. My salvation is the same as the Democrats, and the Democrats are the same as the Republicans. I'm rich, I'm poor. God has the same salvation for the rich as he does for the poor. God has the same salvation for the white as the black. God has the same salvation for the people who grew up in church and the people who did not grow up in church. God has the same salvation for the people who grew up in an Orthodox church and the people who don't even know anything about the Orthodox church or they've been told their whole life through no fault of their own, they were trained that Orthodox are ritual, dry, boring, dead, no spirit. There's some people, you know that. There's some people their whole life, that's what they were taught. They were taught that Orthodoxy is not Christian. That's what they were taught. My question for you, are we willing to accept and embrace or not? Goes on. Acts chapter 15, back to the story. After they came to that conclusion, they, they kind of documented their decision at the council. They said, since we have heard that some who went out from us, this is the letter they wrote at the end, kind of like the, the notes, the meeting minutes, who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And then they go and give them basically two rules to keep. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. They started off with, okay, do, do the Gentiles need to keep all the law? And all the law meant 600 rules, circumcision being the primary one. And they said, we know some people told you that you got to follow all these things. you got to do all the cultural things. We know that some people told you that. And again, this is very fitting for us. Because these people who may be coming in, someone walking off the street, may have been told from other churches that, you know what, you'll never fit in there because you're not like them. So we know that you've heard these things. But we're going to give you two rules. And actually, the two rules are one. The two rules are basically around the idea of unity and not breaking the unity of the body. I know they don't seem that way because one of them is about sexual immorality and the other one about the food. Okay, but both of them are around this idea. The reason why the food was so important is because the people who were in the church, okay, they were very offended because, again, they lived their whole life by certain foods being eaten. So they said, you know what? If you're going to join them, we don't want you to offend them. They don't want to offend you. To, so don't stay away from these foods because it's going to break the unity. Not that the foods matter, but if the food's going to offend your brother, don't eat those foods. And then the second thing is sexual immorality. Why sexual immorality? Because if you want to know the fastest way to break up any group, a group of guys okay, who are friends, put a girl in the middle and you're right there. Okay, that's the easiest way. So right there. Sexual immorality says everyone stay in their, in their lane okay? because we need to keep oneness and unity at the forefront right here. But the important thing to note, this letter, what it said is we need unity, not uniformity. We need unity, not uniformity. And did you know that from this time on, the church... The church in the first century became the most diverse place on the planet. 
the church became the only place in the, all of society when everything, okay, back in the first century, it was very social class. So you had like the rich and the poor. You had the masters, then you had the slaves. Did you know the church was the only place in all of society that you could have a master sitting in the pew right next to his servant? Nowhere else in society would you have that. But in church, they'd be hand in hand and they'd be praying. Nowhere else. Church was the only place that women could sit in the same area as the men. Everywhere else, the women over there. Throw them over there and let the men to the front. Church was the only place that said, no, no, no. No man, no woman. It's all the same. It's all children in God's eyes. Okay, and even speaking of children, church was the only place that valued children. Everywhere else in society, kids had no value. You had no value unless you could do something like beneficial to the society. They would throw kids away. Did you know, actually, there's something that you should know. Sometimes you'll see in the Bible that a kid would be born and then like many years later or months later, the kid would be named. Kids weren't always named when they were born. You know why? Let's see if he even makes it. Okay, some of them, okay, their, their form of abortion is very, very simple. They have the baby and they just throw them over there. It was very simple. Much less technology needed. So they just, and sometimes the baby would live, baby would not live. Sometimes they would just, you know, we can't afford the babies to throw them over there. Kids were worthless. Church was the only place that says, no, 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 let the little children come to me. Because everyone has intrinsic value. Church was the only place that said your value is not based on what you can produce for society or where you're from or your culture, but based on who you are, which is the child of God. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Jesus' prayer was all about. That they may be one. That they may be one. Whether rich or poor. Whether male or female. Whether grew up in the church or grew up outside the church. Whether grew up thinking that, that fasting is cool or grew up thinking that I'm never going to fast. All may be one inside my house. And my question is, do you agree or not agree? Is that acceptable or not acceptable for you? That is Jesus' final prayer. So like I said, you don't really have a choice if you call yourself Christian. But one thing Jesus said, we spend so much of our life saying, Jesus, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. But here, Jesus said, will you do this for me? Will you do this for me? Will you fulfill my one last request? Which is that we would be one and united together. Sometimes we think of unity and accepting, and we think of it as like a New Testament principle. But I got news for you. God, from the very, very start, from the Old Testament, made it very clear His will. People misunderstood it, but from the very beginning, He said, no, 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 no. everyone's welcome in my house. This is Isaiah chapter 56. It says, also the sons of the foreigner, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house. Listen carefully, STSA. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Accepting people who are different than us isn't easy. But the question comes down to how uncomfortable are we willing to be for the sake of fulfilling what God asked us to do? Are we, like for the early church, it was uncomfortable to bring a Gentile in. For St. Peter, it was uncomfortable to go to that home. It was uncomfortable to see someone who thinks that. It was uncomfortable. Are we willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of those who belong inside the house of God? I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's important. And my prayer throughout these next three weeks is that we study what does it mean 
to fulfill Jesus' last request, they may be one. And I, I am excited for this series. And I am excited for what God is about to do here in this place. And I hope you are as well. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your home and giving us a chance to call ourselves your children, unworthy as we are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to, have, to ha adopt this mindset, Lord. You accepted us in our horrible states, and I pray that you would help us to accept one another, whether that's the people who are inside this church right now, or the people who are outside, or the people who we just see them in the street. Give us to accept them, Lord, as we have been accepted by you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.